Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our Summit Church podcast. If you are new here, we want to help connect you with God and all that he has in store for you. We hope that this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live your best days now. Enjoy the message. I want to talk about resurrection power. We're talking about that power of resurrection today because it's Easter. And you know, God never tells us to remember Christmas, his birth. He tells us we are to remember his resurrection. That was the focal point that separated him from every other religious person in the world. Resurrection from the dead. Old Buddha is still laying there. Muhammad, he's rotting there as well. But Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior. Thank God. Yeah. And I want to talk about something the Bible talks about when it mentions power. I think the greatest need of human beings is for power. Most people I know, regardless of their background, religious tradition, most people really have good intentions about the kind of lives they want to live. And we know the kind of people we'd like to be. We know the kind of relationships we'd like to have, and we want good things. But we just seem often to lack the power. Charlie Shedd, who's an author, used to give a talk around America called The Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Children. Oh, this ought to be good. And then he had one child, and he changed the talk to Ten Hints for Parents. And then he and his wife had another child, and he changed the talk again to a few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. And then they had a third kid, and he stopped doing the talk altogether. Life has a way of showing us whatever field or area it is that we have these dreams, we have these thoughts, we have plans, and they're often quite good, but we find ourselves not living them out. Somehow we lack the power to be who we want to be and to do what we want to do. That kind of seems to be the human condition. There once was a group of human beings who were followers of Jesus. Ah, just a little scraggly small group of them at first. And then Jesus was crucified, and they thought, we're finished. But then something supernatural happened. Something historical happened to create this movement where these people who otherwise would have just been one more school in Judaism were gripped by a conviction something had happened. It changed everything that they had received power. They were convinced Jesus was raised from the dead And that power that God used to raise him from the dead was the ultimate expression of power over the ultimate enemy that all human beings face, which is death and everything wrong in the world. And that same power that was demonstrated in the resurrection is now available for humans in our struggle with our own brokenness, disappointments, and sin. Paul put it this way 2,000 years ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. How unbelievably great is his power, that's God's power, to help those who believe in him, that could be you and me, how unbelievably great is his power to help those who will trust him, who will call on him, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So I want to talk about that power in the lives of ordinary people, just like you and me here in San Antonio, Texas, or wherever you're watching online. I believe to the core of my being, it is the only hope of the human race. And so let me talk about it with a story. It's about a guy named David. 
And I want to walk through some of his highs and some of his lows, how he met God and how he found strength and power in God. And that'll get us to the resurrection and what it means for you and for me. At the beginning of David's life, man, remarkable things started to happen. David was a man of exceptional gift and potential. So one day, a prophet named Samuel comes to David's family and finally selects David. He's the last guy chosen. You know, he's the eighth born. When God chooses, he chooses from the back of the line, not the front of the line. Aren't you glad? Oh, thank God. Well, he selected David and said David had found favor with God. He actually anointed David to be king, although Saul was right now king of Israel. Not a good deal here, right? And great things are going to happen to this young guy. And for a while they did. Sometimes life turns out that way. For a while, David ends up going to King Saul's court. He becomes a favorite of the king. Saul loved David. David becomes best friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan. He marries the king's daughter, which was a good career move back then. He, come on. He became a warrior. He was wildly successful in the culture. He is so heroic, people actually wrote songs about the greatness of this young guy, David. Everything this kid touched turned to gold. He's got a charmed life. But then a funny thing happened to him on his way to the top. It all fell apart. And little by little, all the things he achieved began to be stripped away from him. He became so successful, King Saul became jealous of David. So he picked up a spear one day and tried to kill David. David has to run for his life. He loses his job, his income, his security. And some of you know what that's like. Then he loses his marriage. And some of you know what that's all about. Saul is trying to kill David. David's wife helps him escape. But she ends up being taken back by her dad, King Saul, and given to another man as a wife. Kings could do that in those days. I know some of you are thinking, if you reckon our king can come get mine? I, no, I, don't go there. Or my husband, either one. Yeah. So, so David has lost his marriage. He's lost his family. He's lost his position. He tried to go see Samuel, his mentor, but Saul hears about it and sends soldiers, and David's got to make another escape. And shortly after this, the prophet Samuel dies. David's never, ever going to get advice or counsel from his old trusted mentor, the great prophet Samuel. Well, David tries to run to his best friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan loves David, Scripture says, but he won't lift a sword against his own father. So David has to run away one more time, and he'll never see his best friend ever again. That's how bad it is for David. Oh, yeah, and then it gets worse. Really? Mm. So what's wrong with your washer machine? You couldn't have had a bad day like this. So Israel has become a hot place for him. He's got to leave. He loses his home, his culture, his language. He's got nowhere to go. So he runs for safety to a city outside of Israel called Gath. Gath is the home of this big guy you might remember with the WWF, Goliath. And David fought and killed him with a slingshot. I mean, this guy is using human growth hormones. He's huge. And Gath is the city Goliath is from. It's the city of the Philistines, their enemy. 
David is so desperate, he runs for refuge to his enemies, the Philistines. He's trying to get them to take him in and have pity on him. He pretends to be insane. He foams at the mouth, scribbles on the gates, but they won't take him in. They kick him out, and he ends up living in a cave. This is David, who had once been in a palace, had wealth, had power, had fame, had friends, had millions of Instagram, Facebook followers, and security. He was the golden boy of that age, and now it's all gone. He's got no money, no home, no friends, no job, no mentor, and he's running for his life, living in a cave, a cave of the doomed. So now, let's talk about the cave. The cave is where you end up when all of your props, your supports, your gifts, your awards get stripped away. The cave is where you end up when you thought you were going to have a great life, maybe do some great things, have a great family, and all of your hopes turn to dust, and it becomes quite clear things aren't going to work out the way you dreamed. A cave is where dreams go to die, and some of you are in a cave right now. And maybe you had a vocational dream of what you were going to do, but it hasn't happened. Maybe you lost your job and there's enormous financial pressure on you. You worry about it every day. You're in a cave. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you've lost a marriage to desertion or maybe to death, maybe to divorce. Or maybe you wanted a relationship really bad, but it just hasn't happened. And you find yourself in a cave. Maybe you made a bad decision. Anybody in this crowd ever make a bad decision? Got my hand up. You find yourself asking, how did I ever end up here? I had such high hopes. I had such strong dreams. And now I find I've made decisions that I regret. I'm involved in behavior, and I don't even know who this person is that I've become. How did I end up here? And you're in a cave. Maybe a cave of remorse. Maybe you lost your health. It's a physical condition that happened to you. Or somebody you love. Maybe you find yourself alone. Maybe you've betrayed some values that you thought went pretty deep in you. A cave is a place of disappointment, of regret, of failure, of fear. Nobody plans on ending up in a cave, for crying out loud. In fact, we live in a part of the world here in America where people pride themselves on their ability to do cave avoidance. But sooner or later, that day will come. And that's part of the brokenness of our world. What's hardest about being in a cave is that you start to wonder if God's lost track of you. Has he got a GPS? Does he know where you are? And you begin to wonder, did he forget his promises? Does he remember where I am? Is there anybody out there? Can you hear me? You hear him? I'm in a cave. Will I ever be anywhere else? Am I going to die in this stinking place? Now, one more thing you need to know. The cave is where God does some of his best work in molding and shaping and reshaping human life. The cave is the place after all the awards and trophies and achievements and celebration and props get stripped away. And you find all you got left is God. And then you discover, remarkably, what you couldn't discover before, God was enough. Hmm. Sometimes the cave is where you meet God, the God who does some of his best work in caves. It's a funny thing when people look back on their lives and you ask them, 
What made you grow strong spiritually? When you met God and you learned trust, patience, what was going on in your life? And in surveys, the number one answer was that it was during times of great pain or suffering. It was cave time, maybe, that made me what I am. Well, David spent 10 years in the wilderness, 10 years of his life. Everything was going so great for so long, then he ends up in a cave, and he spends 10 years in a wilderness. Now, he wasn't entirely alone, although it might have been better. Some people came to him in the cave, but they weren't very promising. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it says, all those who were in distress, in debt, discontented, had just left another church because they were offended, gathered around him, and he became their commander. Woo! What a promising group this is. Wouldn't you love to be the leader of this little band of brothers? In debt, distress, and discontent. What could possibly go wrong? So David and his band of whiners established a refugee community in a village called Ziglag. They take wives, they have families, and then one day his men go off to battle. When David and the army come back, everything's gone. Their wives, their sons, their daughters have all been taken captive. They've lost everything. Then it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 4, so David and his men cried aloud until they had no more strength to cry. You ever cry like that? It'd probably be private. Yeah. Your life hits rock bottom. You can't even see the, I mean, you're so low, you have to high jump to get on a curve. You're lower than a whale's belly. That's pretty low. And his men are so overwhelmed by sadness that they cry till they have no more power to cry. Ever been like that? Can you imagine? These are tough guys. And then for David, oh yeah, it gets worse. You remember that song? So you had a bad day. <laughs> yeah, I want to make you feel good here, see? 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because his own men were talking about stoning him. That's a bad day at work. This is David, a fugitive from his own country. His kings tried to kill him. He's lost his mentor. He's lost his best friend. He's lost his wife. He's lost his future. He lost his security. He lost his reputation, lost his money, lost his home. And then he finds the courage to launch this little startup group right out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of whiners. And now they want to kill him. That's a bad day. So, so, then, so then comes one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. That's it. David found strength, not in his own strength or resilience, not in his brilliance, not in his capacity, not in his determination. David found strength in the Lord his God because everything's gone. Just that one sentence a man alone with God, and everything starts to change. His circumstances at the moment were no different than before. Everything on the outside of David's life looked just the same as always, but David had spiritually passed from death unto life. And we find out now it's not about David at all. 
It looked like the bottom had fallen out of his life, but it turns out that David had fallen into the arms of God, and David found strength in the Lord his God. What God started, God's going to finish. David would go on to a remarkable life. Eventually, he'd be able to return to Israel, and then one day he would become king again. People would look back at David's day with so much longing that when they thought about a Messiah who may come one day to save them, they would talk about such a person as the son of David. If only there could be a king like David. Well, David would know great highs. He had no great lows. He would achieve great victories. He would make some huge mistakes. I just wonder how often for the rest of his life he would journey back in his mind over a cup of coffee, if they had coffee, to that cave where he once was all alone, but where he found strength in the Lord his God. I wonder if you've ever done that. I kind of wonder, cave dwellers that we are, if you know what it is when everything gets stripped away to find strength in God. Turns out God understands all about caves. You know, when he sent Jesus, it turns out that when Jesus came for a while, the one who's called the son of David, I mean, for a while, like David, everything went up, was going great. For a while, a lot of the stuff Jesus touched turned to gold. And people loved his teachings, his podcasts. They loved to follow him on Facebook. And they would come to Jesus, those in distress, in debt, or discouraged, those who were sick or lame or lepers, and the outcasts, the marginalized, they'd come. And he would touch them, and he would heal them, and he would embrace them. And word spread, and the crowds were huge until one day he comes into Jerusalem. The people are excited about what he could do. They knew what he could do and about how their lives might change. So they line the road coming into Jerusalem, and here comes the son of David. The new king has come, and they throw palm branches in his way and cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. They want to make him king, but he wasn't going to be that kind of a king. And when they found that out, they all turned on him, the son of David. And he, like David, lost everything, lost his position as a teacher, lost his safety, his friends ran away from him when he needed them the most. The son of David also had huge crowds, but they were disappointed in his leadership, just like David had. He also had people who wanted to kill him, and this time, they did it. They put him under arrest, convicted him in a mock trial of nothing, ripped and beat his body, put a crown of thorns on his head, nailed him to a cross, and it was all the sin and guilt of the world that put him there. The most perfect man who ever lived, the only sinless human life, the most unfair death that's ever been inflicted on anybody, and it was their sin and my sin and your sin too that hung him on that cross, and he died. And they thought, smirkingly, well, that's the end of that move. And they took him down from the cross and they put his body where they thought it would never be heard from or seen again. And where did they put his body? Oh, I remember in a cave. They just forgot God does his best work in caves. The cave, come on somebody, the cave is where God resurrects dead stuff. 
And there's this group of people who were the followers of Jesus. And when he died on the cross, they were distressed, dejected, demoralized, lost hope. And something happened to them. And you can read about that power encounter in Acts chapter 2. They were all filled with the power of God's Spirit. It was so powerful, they were absolutely convinced, yep, Jesus is still alive. Now, that doesn't mean all their problems went away any more than it would for you or for me. They would travel the world. They would exhaust their energy. Many of them would give their lives for this one they loved. But what's remarkable is they did it with great joy. They just thought they were getting the deal of a lifetime. There's this unstoppable force of life, power, inside of them. And it just changed them, and it changed the world. And now this is our day. And now this news comes to every man and every woman, and there's a decision because we are people who live in caves. And sometimes it's possible for us to say, ah, Rick, I think I'll just stay here in this cave. I think I'll just continue my life in my own strength, or I'll just continue to complain about what an unfair thing my particular cave is. I don't think it'll ever be different. I think that I will not die to everything I want for myself in order to follow this one man who is the hope of the world. And unfortunately, sometimes people make that decision and go on and lead small, miserable little lives. Maybe they might be successful occasionally, maybe not, but their souls wither and die. But sometimes people kneel down in that cave they're in and they say, God, I don't want to do life in my own strength anymore. I want another kind of life that I can't make happen for myself, that I can't live on my own. I would like for this Jesus, who was resurrected 2,000 years ago, to become the one that forgives my sins, that wipes my slate clean, and that gives me a fresh start. Then I would like every day for Jesus to be not just my forgiver, but also my friend, my companion, my leader, my guide. And I'll seek to do that with your help, Lord, and with the help of your Holy Spirit. Whatever I need to do to arrange my life in such a way that I can just stay in contact with him, I'd like to do that. One day at a time for the rest of my life. And then forever in eternity in the world yet to come. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.